God's, God's doing the work in our lives. I mean, he's teaching us about his word and we just get to convey that to you guys. And so my hope and my prayer is that this morning you'll sit here, you'll engage, you'll, you'll engage your heart and your mind with the word of God and you'll allow God to speak to you because he does have things to say here. And to me, as you end up first John, John speaking, the apostle John was speaking to a church much like ours, uh, young people with lots of questions under uh, much duress and a lot of people trying to come in and steal people from the church. And if you've ever walked with Jesus for a little bit even, you probably get that feeling, right? Where at times you want to walk with Jesus and you feel like, man, there are a lot of things that are trying to pull you away from Jesus, right? I think that's the case for all of us. Well, we're going to look at the ending of 1 John uh, in his letter to that church. Um, Last week, we looked at three witnesses that testify to who Jesus is. And he answering the questions, who is Jesus? Um, what does it mean to have the son? How do you have the son? And God, John says that God testifies about Jesus and about eternal life. And he says this, and you guys might remember this from last week, but he says this, whoever has the son has blank. What's the blank? Life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So it's really important to have the son. Really important. This morning, we're going to look at the last part of the, of the book where he addresses these people and he talks about encouragement and application. I mean, real application. And then he just has this heartfelt exhortation to the church to remain true to Jesus and to flee idols. So I, t- I titled the message, Keep Calm and Flee Idols. Keep Calm and Flee Idols. And we're going to look at both of those themes today. Okay, let me pray for us. We're going to read the section of scripture and then we'll just jump it in. Jump in there, okay? So pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you testify to the world, to everyone here hearing today, that, that your son is the Christ and he is eternal life. And those that have him have eternal life. Those that don't have a son do not have eternal life. And we pray, I pray, God, that as we take a few moments to look at your scriptures and to hear your heart for us, that we, God, would be moved to action. We would be moved to believing you in our hearts and our minds and that everybody that can hear my voice this morning and hear your words spoken, that they would believe, Lord, because um, at, the end of the, at the end of our days, at the end of our time, God, there's, there's one thing that matters. Do we have the Son? Do we not have the Son? I know most of us do, Lord. I pray that we would be encouraged by you. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, 1 John 5, 13 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, 
in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So I want you to know and understand and to believe and to have knowledge and to live in the truth of this next statement. You can know if you have eternal life. You can know it. John says this is why he writes the book. There there would be no more guessing, no more wondering, no more ambiguity to the question that don't let another moment or day pass without knowing. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you have eternal life. Is this you? If you don't know, then here's how to know. God sent his son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin. Jesus led a sinless life and died a horrible death on a cross in order to take your place, my place, for our sins. And he died once for all. That's what the scriptures say in 1 Peter. Once for all, that we might have life. He didn't say dead, and so in doing, proved to the world that he conquered death and sin and made a way for us to live with him forever. And if you believe in his name, if you believe in his name. Now, the book of James, interestingly enough, says something about belief. It says that demons believe, but we know that demons aren't saved. So what's the difference? There is a difference here regarding belief. And so what I thought about is that perhaps some of you might know about Jesus. Perhaps some of you might know the good news about Jesus, but you've not been saved through faith in Jesus. I mean, you perhaps might still lack a moment, a real moment of conversion where, where you see Jesus for who he is and you look into the empty tomb of, uh, and you don't see him and you say, there is an empty tomb. He really did rise. And you believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then you confess that, that Jesus is Lord over your life and over everything. Perhaps some of you lack that conviction. And for you, I just want to urge you to not leave today, to not let another moment, another day go by, as long as it might take that you might believe in your heart, in your mind, that Jesus is the risen Savior of the world. He is. If, if that's you, uh, I just tell you, talk to a home group leader. Talk to somebody that brought you. Uh, talk to me. I'll, I'll be around for a while after the service, and we can talk about who Jesus is and, and what he wants to say about this world. As for John, he wants to make it really clear here, as he says it. This is the purpose of writing the letter to encourage with the truth that you can know you have eternal life. And the word there is have in in a present tense, not not some future thing, but right now you have eternal life. And there's two points to draw out from the section of scripture. And I've already said them, keep calm, right? And flee idols. And I take keep calm from the phrasing that John uses regarding prayer. And that's what he's talking about. And he talks about prayer for a few moments here. So let's read the scripture there again and talk about prayer. So this is the verse, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. It's kind of a wordy way of saying that, right? But how do we know if God hears our prayers? Raise your hand if you've ever prayed and you weren't sure if God heard your prayer. Two hands for me. (laughs) Does God hear all prayers? These are questions that I ponder when I thought through this message. 
And it seems to reason that there's a caveat to this, to which prayers are heard by God and which ones aren't. It seems to me that there is a caveat. God hears the prayers that accord with his will. That's what he says. If you pray things according to his will, you'll be heard. By using the word to hear, right? John is saying, it's not just that he hears like audibly that it, it enters his ears, so to speak. But it means to say that God responds and he answers and he's moved to action by those words, right? The difference between like, do you hear me now? And then if I were to say, get up and leave the room, you would do something if you really heard me, correct? Okay, this is what John's talking about. So the common thing about prayer, the reason why I say it's keep calm is because when we pray, how many times do you pray and you wonder, did God hear that? Is he gonna move? Is he gonna do something about what I just prayed? And it's such a calming effect to know that when you pray, God might move, right? Lord, I need help. God might actually help. That, that's calming. It's meant to be calming to our hearts, to our souls. So the calming thing is that God hears and is moved, but more accurately, he hears the prayers that are in according to his will. Those are the ones he hears and he moves and he's moved to action by. And this felt kind of strange to me. Like, it seems like God might be mean-spirited, right? Like, okay, I only hear those, but I'm not going to hear those. And how are we going to know which ones are those and which ones aren't those? And that's kind of confusing, God, right? But it's not really mean-spirited because I thought about my kids and I think my kids do this to me all the time. And I, I know in your homes, you've done this too, right? Because you talk to your parents or you used to talk to your parents this way and, and you would ask for a lot of things, right? So we just celebrated Kira's 10th birthday today, like actually last night, a birthday party, and today's her 10th birthday, double digits, the big two digit O or whatever you want to say, <laughs> one O. <laughs> so, so, you know, this is a big deal for her. And she asked for a lot of things, like this soccer bag that's really cool and she could take her soccer stuff in. But I know we all understand this because, you know, in the case of my kids, like they'll ask for more food all the time. Right? They always ask for more video games. It's never, they never, ever, I think I can say that. They never say, I don't need more video game time. <laughs> I think they always want more video game time. They always want more TV. They ask for it. They ask for more time to play outside. Hey, it's time to come inside, kids. Oh, can we just have five more minutes? That's common. They, they usually ask for less homework, fewer chores, Right? More time for me to play with them and always pizza on Fridays, always. And, and if you know us, we're a Papa John's family because they always ask for Papa John's. And I'm like, can we just get away from Papa John's for a week or two? Yes. <laughs> I would much rather eat Rosati's or some deep dish, you know, or something really good. And I'm actually Pizza Hut over Papa John's. But, but, but my kids, they, they ask for Papa John's. You, I lost some of you there. These are very normal occurrences in my home. And I'm really confident they've been normal in your life too, right? You've asked for things and you probably ask for a lot of things. Now, just because my kids ask me as if, you know, they're kind of like praying, right? Does not mean that I'm moved to action on their behalf. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, it, I, I can't do that. I can hear them with my, hear, with my ears and I can even hear them with my heart. Like I can take in the request for Papa John's one more time and go, 
I will, I will give Papa John's. Like I, I want to give Papa John's. My heart yields towards Papa John's for my kids. But I can't act on everything asked for or else we would always eat pizza. Because my son told me the other day, I could eat it every day and I believe him. <laughs> we would always eat candy all the time when we're not eating pizza. We would always play outside. I'm convinced of it. And we would have video games outside and we'd build a tent and we'd have video games outside so we could be outside playing video games more. And my kids would never go to school again and we'd live in a really, really dirty house. But we'd own nicer cars, right? Because that's how my kids think. Like they ask for, can we drive nicer cars? And can I never go to school? And do I ever have to do chores again? All right. And that's how it works. It's important for my kids to ask for all of these things. It's really important. But as for the confidence that they should have in me hearing them, meaning to be moved to action, it must be in according to my will. We, I, I have to say, yes, go to school. Again, similar to God, the kids don't always know my will. Sometimes they do, but they don't always know my will. Now, again, similar to God, or unlike God, I should say, I don't always know my will, right? So I might think I want something to be done, and I'm kind of like, I'm not really sure. God's always sure. I'm not. So my kids might ask me for things, and what tends to happen is my heart just gets moved towards them, and I want what they want, and I want to give them what I can give them if it fits within this bigger picture, because I don't always know necessarily what I, what I even want. Can you follow that? I often find my will lining up with their requests because my heart is really for my kids. And this is similar to God, but it is also radically different. God's heart is for his children. That is really similar. It's not any different than my heart for my kids, except for this. God's love in his heart for us, his children, outshines my love and my heart for my kids like the sun to the moon. It's not even close. It's not even close. But my heart for my kids is big. Another difference is that God reveals his will in his scriptures. I don't have, I don't even know my own will sometimes. I'm not so sure what I really want. God has revealed his will. And and even though his specific will can be difficult to, to determine at times, we can be assured that he knows and has revealed to us how to live. He's given us the scriptures. And so within this larger framework of the scriptures, there is the will, that's called the will of God. And then there's all sorts of freedom in the middle. All sorts of freedom. So keep calm refers to being sure that we can pray and ask for things in God's will. And he will act for us. He will, he will listen. He will hear. He will move, be moved to action. And so to me, the question becomes, how do you pray God's will? Because if that's, if that's how it works, then, then we want to pray God's will. And I say, learn to pray the scriptures. Learn to pray the scriptures. Memorize and hide God's word in your heart and in your mind. And pray those same words when you pray. And I would say, pray this way often. Learn to pray the scriptures. Learn to take the word of God and pray it over your life. Pray it over other people's lives. Pray it for the world. And to be honest, here's the thing. When we sing songs on Sunday mornings, that's what we're doing. 
if you go in and look at the lyrics of the songs and go back to the person who wrote the songs, almost all the time, you will find words that are taken directly from scripture. Or you'll take a portion of the scriptures and you'll say, oh, okay, that's where that song comes from. And you could do that with pretty much every song that we sing. And there's a reason for that. These worship uh, leaders and these writers of songs, they, they know music and words, they combine with for real power, right? And so we take these words and we start to sing them and we're singing the scriptures back to God. And we know that we're in, in accord with his will. You can be sure when you do this, that God hears your prayers and requests. And he'll act on your behalf for his glory and for your good because you get to experience the blessings of that. Okay, so the second point about keeping calm, about prayer, is if anyone sees his brother, back to the scriptures, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What does John mean by this? What, there are sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. And here's the question for us. I mean, just think about this, you personally, church. Think about this. Do sins committed by Christians, disciples of Jesus, believers, do those sins lead to death? I don't know, right? We're going to answer that. Do they lead to death? What sins lead to death? Some sins lead to death. Some sins don't lead to death. Is John talking about a hierarchy of sin? Were you ever taught the idea that all sins are the same? So is he talking about, John, did you just flip my world upside down? Whoa, I'm not so sure, John. He says, not all sins lead to death. In fact, for the Christian born of God, he says, you don't continue to sin. Christians do not continue to sin, and yet we sin. God has already, uh, John has already spent time. You can go back to our messages. You can get them online. You can listen to the messages. You can read 1 John for yourself. Over and over, he'll speak about this idea that sinning and not sinning and and moving on from sin and how, how does this work for the Christian but he spent time doing this in his letter that Christians not sinning and sinning and then repenting. He talks about this. So what does he mean about sins not leading to death? I'm not going to take time to, to look at that again. You need to go back and look for yourself. But what does he mean by this? He means that for the Christian, a mark of being a Christ follower is dependence on Jesus and repentance. That's what he means. Repentance is the willful act of the heart and the mind. And it's acknowledging that over here is my life and I'm messed up and I've got issues that are against God. And it's turning away from that. And it's a willful act of the mind and the heart to say, God, you're right. It's that that act, that desire to turn to Jesus. The forgiveness and restoration that he gives is over here and turning away from the things that are causing me to not follow him. And for this person, the person who repents, there's no sins that lead to death. Sins lead to repentance So sins, like over here, being committed over here, we turn away from them, we turn to the one who gives life. We talked about that last week. Because in Christ is life. He who has the son has life. So you turn away in repentance to the one who gives life. It's not death over here. Death's on this side. 
And it's not that sinning is promoted by John. Like he's just kind of going, well, I guess you can just sin because you can always turn. He's not promoting that at all. He says that all wrongdoing is sin, Christian or not Christian. But for the Christian, there is a turning away from sin and there's a turning to the giver of life. And that is fundamentally different than how the world works. So what's the deal with John encouraging the church to not pray for sins that lead to death? Does that confuse any of you? Does that kind of go, that's kind of weird. And I kind of pictured the church kind of reading the letter and going, "Uh, Grandpa John, because he's old, right? And he's been writing to this church. Grandpa John, are you saying we shouldn't pray for these types of people? Are are you saying you don't want us praying for these sins? And John means to say, don't pray for life for those who are willfully sinning against God. For those who know the truth about Jesus, but refuse the truth, he doesn't want us praying for success for the person to continue to sin. Only pray for them according to the will of God, which is to say, like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn away from the things that cause death and turn to the one who gives life. Not that their life would be okay and things would work out. And just kind of give them a chance to keep sinning. He is not saying that. And church, let me tell you, this is a hard statement. Because nobody, nobody in this room would say, we want the demise of someone else. Nobody. And I don't encourage you to pray that. But none of us in our hearts desire even an inkling, I hope you don't, for somebody's um, harm. Right? But we also, for the person who willfully is saying, I don't want God, we are not to pray for that person in their sin to say, just keep doing, because it leads to death. Pray for repentance. So that's John's thoughts on keeping calm. He wants us to pray. He wants us to know God hears prayers of his people according to his great will. And he also wants us to flee idols. That's how, how he ends this, the, the whole letter. And I, I find that really a strange way to write a letter. I don't write that many letters these days. I used to write more. Um, but you know what? You're, picture yourself. You're writing to some people you love. You haven't seen in a while. And you're pinning the letter. And you start off, dear so-and-so. And you end with the phrase, uh, dear friends, little children, loved ones. Guard yourself from idols. It, quite honestly, it makes me think the ink just ran out. There must have been something else. It feels kind of like, okay, that's weird. That's a weird way to end a letter. And here we are. These are kind of the last words for us this year as a church, collectively. So why does he end this way? Okay, back to the scriptures. (laughs) We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So remember the context that 
The people who had left the church tried to persuade others to leave the church on the account of a different message about Jesus. And John states repeatedly that he was an eyewitness. He knows Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was with Jesus. And his statement, his testimony is true regarding Jesus. And he wants to encourage this young church to stay true to the message. So as he closes his letter, he's reminding them of a couple of things, their lineage, their roots, their family, as opposed or in contrast to the world. True believers in Jesus are protected by Jesus and kept safe. And no one, no one can harm us. The entire world, picture it, the entire world controlled by Satan, but we are protected by Christ, protected in Christ. So as opposed to idols with their mocking faces and their silent stares and their grins, looking back at you, dead eyes, we serve the true God of eternal life. He gives us life and he protects us and he guards us and he watches over us. And he says, don't be dismayed. Don't be mistaken. God is true. And in him, we are his children fiercely guarded. And you know this. You know that if if a parent really loves their child, they will guard their child fiercely. And our father does not sleep nor slumber is what the psalmist said. He sees you. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He hasn't forgotten about you. He is always protective of your life. Idols, in contrast, they just sit there silently when needed most. They just look at you with nothing to offer. And I just picture them staring and they're mocking. Their silence mocks you and us and me. And we bow down to them and we plead for them with change, for change. And I I understand that change can happen in life, but without God, there is no peace. Without God, there is no true change. And I have found that the more difficult the times are in your life, when you turn to an idol to to, um, to, to take care of that issue for you, there is just more silence. It's more difficult. And I think this truth is revealed, the one that John is trying to hit at. It's revealed in the hardest of times, idols fail you. They will fail. Because idols are false gods. And you might want to think this, okay, about idols. You might want to think that they're trying to take over life and causing you to bow down to them. But that is not how idols work. Because it's, it's rather from your own hands that you set up idols. And, and the, the image that came to mind was this, because remember, idols are just false gods. They're just, they're not true. They don't have nothing to offer you. We just think they do. And so I picture this for the Christian, like you grab hold of Jesus, two hands, two hands, okay? And you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And you're with him and you're, you're, you're really close to him. And you are doing everything you can to grasp him with all of your might. But things in the world try to snag you and try to call from you to you and try to capture your attention. And sometimes they do. And you find yourself 
wondering and wandering. And then what happens is we, we do this, we, we kind of go this, and we let go. And we grab hold of the idol, and then we kind of go, okay, and, and we're struggling, and we're, we're kind of moving. I picture idols being on a higher thing, like an altar, right? And so you, you grab it, and you, you climb up, and you, you're the one that places the, the idol up. And you set it there, and then you kind of bow back down, and you're kind of asking it for help. When all along, you have the Savior of the world here, right here. We release our God in our times of need. And this is what we do. We're the ones that put idols up high. And this is why the scriptures are really clear. God tells us to tear down idols. Because with one hand, the almighty God is here and we traded him for a piece of stone. So Jesus says, he comes along and the giver of life, life, he says, turn away from your idols, tear them down, stay really clear. John says, keep yourself guarded. It's an active like, Protect yourself, flee it, get away from, get away from the rubble of the idol because tear the idol down and it's going to crumble. Now move away, get far away and grab hold of Jesus. He's the one that gives life. Grab back hold of the Jesus in repentance and then hold fast with both hands. And so John here, ending his story, his letter, he wants the young uh, believers to flee from idols, guard yourself from idols. Namely, the idol that says Jesus is not who he says he is or you're somebody else like God. Stay clear, keep your distance. It's for your benefit to flee idols and guard against them and tear them down and destroy them. Stay close to the one true God, Jesus Christ, our eternal life. Jesus, he's the maker of heaven and earth. Our God is the one true God. Our God reigns and sits enthroned both now and forevermore. That's what the psalmist said. And pray according to his will and all you ask for will be granted. This is what, these are the things that he's saying. I'm gonna invite the band. Ben, you can come back up. We're about to end. But John, John is saying, stay away from these things that when you need life, when you need life, they're going to be silent. They're going to be silent. And I was thinking about us going into the summer and thinking, okay, we're going to disperse from here. And some will be here, some will leave, some will go to LT, various places, right? What, what's the thing that John might leave us with? I think his words are really fitting. Little children, dear cornerstone, friends and family, guard yourself from idols. There are lots of them out there to be, to be held up and put on the mantle. Lots of them. But the one true God sits here right in front of you and says, fix your eyes on me. I will perfect your faith. Stay ever close to him who guards you until the day of Christ Jesus and stay close to your loving father. Can we pray for us? The band's gonna take us home. Here with the Psalms. Father God, we thank you that we serve you, the living God. 
far above all other gods. And you're the one that we sing to. You're the one that we praise. You're the one that we live our life for. And God, all of us here, there's not someone in this room that is not tempted to turn away from you. There's not someone here, God, that hasn't, hasn't probably done that multiple times. God, I know that feeling. I know where we're at, Lord. I pray, God, that you would beckon us back. You would draw us back. It, you, your word says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Lord, we know you are kind. I pray that this morning, if anyone needs to repent and turn away from idols, would you help them do that? Or might we turn to you, the living God, and serve you with all of our days, all of our life. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray all of these things in your name.